It's a fishy business this week, darling. <laughs> How nice to see you, by the way. I should have started off by this, shouldn't I? Should I? How marvellous to see you. Hello. Yeah, that is, that's customary to say hello to people. Yes, hi. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've had a bit of a tricky week or so, haven't you? You had a, a Oh, I've just flu. been really sick, but that's quite boring. Well, you look pretty good okay to me now. I'm coming out the other side. So are we ready to deal with fish? We're going to talk about fish, exactly. What do you want to know about fish? Well, I think fish can be a complicated matter, can't it? There's lots of, um, there's the challenges of fish, the, the, the fear factor with fish, there's the sustainability angle with fish. Uh, there's, I think for some people, there's the ick factor with fish. Fish and health? Fish and health. Fish and exactly. this, fish and that, fish and the other. Everything comes back to fish. Did you have, do you have fear of fish, cooking fish? Not anymore. Uh, but I think I definitely used to. I mean, when I started cooking, you know, when I first started cooking as an adult, I don't think I I gravitated towards fish, you know, naturally as much as I would have done to vegetarian or, or meat because it's, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you kind of think, oh God, it can go wrong so easily. And what kind of fish am I buying? And what cut am I buying? And, you know, how long does it take to cook? And, and you know, like, like with most things, when you cook, the more you do it, the more relaxed you become. But actually, yeah. I've realised now that fish is so easy. It's really simple and easy. And, um, uh, you know, delicious. It's great for quick, you know, weeknight suppers. And, you know, there's lots of things you can do with fish. You know, they're they're quite... They're quite malleable, you know, lots of different sources and different methods and you can add them to various different things and they're nice and light, they're healthy, they're filling. Well, some of them are more healthy than others, but we'll come back to the moment. We'll come um, back to that. Should we start off with the, the basics? You know, how do you how do you tell a really good fish when you come to buy it? When you see it in the fishmonger's slab or in the, in the supermarket? Do you yeah, know I mean, and I for? think we need to be quite clear when we're talking about this because shopping for fish is, is actually a subject in its own because... It, whether you're shopping at a fishmonger or you're shopping in a supermarket, it's two different. You, you, I mean, ultimately you're looking for the same thing, but it's different. Yes, it is a different experience because, for one thing, if you're going to a fishmonger's, you can ask, talk to the fishmonger about it. But I think that exactly. there, are, there are certain basic things you need to look for. You need to look for the brightness of the eye. That's always a giveaway. If the eye looks really shiny and you know, uh, then it's then it's usually pretty fresh. And particularly uh, if it's nice glossy body and it looks you know it looks sort of um, you know it's just come out of the sea and I think so I think that's important and if you can look at the the gills the gills are always if you see the fish hull this is why you should always buy fish hull if you look at the gills and they're pink or red they that, that you know it's just been come out of the, out of oh, the really water. I didn't know that yeah look at the that's an absolute um certainty it's but I think it has to be said that, I mean, a lot of people are not going to buy whole fish. I mean, I I don't buy whole fish all that often. I, I mean, I do sometimes, but I don't always because um, it's easy to buy a little a couple of fillets for a weeknight supper or whatever. So any tips if you're buying, okay, it's slightly different if you're buying packaged fillets in a supermarket, but any tips if you're going to a fishmonger if you're not buying a whole fish? Well, I would say buy a whole fish and get him to fillet it. That's the, that. That is the best way of getting it. Apart okay. from that, if, if you just again look at the, if you can, if you look at the skin side, look if it looks fresh, if it looks, and if the flesh looks fab. Ah, a really important thing here is smell. If you can smell mm. the fish, it ain't that fresh. You've got to be have that sort of, you know, it's it's as if it's just a, if you can smell the sea, 
then you know it's okay. If you can yeah. smell fishy smell, I would go and uh, get get a tin of beans out. <laughs> and then what about so the the kind of the the basics around fishmongers, right? So we want to be shopping at if we're if we're going to go to a fishmonger, we want to be shopping at fishmongers who have got fresh fish in on a daily basis. Therefore, we will not be buying fish on Sundays or Mondays. Never on a Sunday, never on a Monday. Because actually, exactly. I don't know whether it's still true, but it certainly used to be true, is that the, the fishermen came in uh, on, a, on a Saturday or on a Sunday and they never went out on a Monday because that was their day off. So that's why you yeah. never bought fish I mean, on n- a Monday. I mean, none of the fishmongers I go to are open on Sundays yeah. or perhaps yeah. Mondays. I don't know whether this is true now of supermarkets who now have such buying power that they can you know, they get their fish you know, all all through the week I, I don't know i think it's and, and actually you know some of the fish i've seen in in um, supermarkets has been pretty good i mean it's particularly basic fish like cod and and haddock um mackerel and so on like that things like that the fish um sort of fish that we everyday fish i would regard say and from a consumer point of view if we are standing at a counter for fish be it in a supermarket at the fish counter or be it at a fishmonger's are we always to rightly assume that none of that should have ever been frozen? Well, if it has been frozen, it should say so. I mean, no, right. I mean, certain things will be frozen, like prawns, for example. Big prawns, almost invariably frozen, have been brought in from Madagascar or from South America or somewhere like that. Uh, I think quite a lot of squid is frozen now. Uh, octopus may well be frozen. Um, a fish fish... Uh, you know, it, they should tell you whether it's been frozen or not. Some some may have been. And actually, okay. that doesn't matter. If a fish is frozen at sea immediately and it's handled well by a knowledgeable crew, then uh, it actually is, is a good quality stuff. Yeah, that's fine. But that ne- but that will determine whether you can freeze it again. <laughs> no. No, never. So you need to. Peter and I had exactly this problem the other day. We bought some prawns from a fishmonger, uh, and then sort of changed our minds and chucked them in the freezer. And then a week later, we thought, "Oh, well, let's take those prawns out and have them for supper." And we suddenly thought, "Bucker, they were probably frozen before we bought them." And then we'd refrozen them, which you shouldn't do. No, it's, it's, it, it won't kill you, or highly unlikely to. But it's uh, but it will do to affect the quality. <laughs> Yeah, I think put a disclaimer on that one. Don't don't try it at home. Just I wouldn't because put Dad it, said it's not going to kill you. Don't put it to the test. But anyway, it's just, but it certainly will affect the the quality. Now, do you, when you go to the fishmongers or or indeed to the supermarket, do you look out for particular kinds of fish? Because we have to consider sustainability. Well, no, I don't. Unless I don't, I. I very rarely go into something like a butcher or a fishmonger with an idea, with a preconceived idea of what I want to make. I generally go in and look at what looks good uh, or what's interesting or perhaps what I haven't seen before. But, and I'll hold my hands up here, and the part of this podcast I was really excited to do because it's learning from you, is, uh, you know, I, I don't know as much as I should do around the sustainability issue with fish and what we should be avoiding, what we should be looking for and how we make those decisions. I think it would be really good to spend some time on that because you are a good source of knowledge. <laughs> well, it's difficult to keep up with you know, the latest developments. And one of the things you learn when you, as you go through all the various sustainability 
websites, all the, the Marine Stewardship Council and the Sustainable Fish Trust and the goodness knows what else, um, um, is that they all say something slightly different. They all have areas mm. where they overlap, but they also have areas where they disagree. And interestingly, very few of those uh, of the self-appointed uh, self-sustainability organisations have a fisherman on their board of advisors. But there is a thing called the National Federation of Fishermen's Organisations, which gives the fisherman's point of view, which is, as you, as you might expect, is rather different from that of some scientists. Yes. Um, so the thing yeah. to do is, I mean, there are some certain basic, I mean, I think that the, the fish generally held to be sustainable are herring, sardines, anchovies, hake, mackerel, dovercell, gurnard, whiting and pollock. There is, in my view, a good reason why Pollock is sustainable. It is a fish so devoid of any interest whatsoever that no one in their right mind wants to eat it. But I am not alone in... Uh, sorry, I may well be alone in this. So, Dad, can you read that list slower? Yeah, right. Sorry, darling. Uh, herrings. Yeah. Sardines. Anchovies. Hake. Mackerel. Dover sole. Gurnard. Whiting. And Pollock. And, but, but also, again, you see, in certain areas, it's... it's where fish comes from. So cod, for example, comes from Iceland. It's absolutely sustainable. And then they run their fishery so that it can be. If it comes from the North Sea, you know, there are different differences of opinion. If you could go and yeah. find a nice freshly caught cod down from the channel, well, I guess it's probably absolutely fine. So it's a, it's a moving target sustainability in my and view. And it's interesting, isn't it? You know, a lot of those fish are the little bony fish that people really don't know what to do with at home. And like the herring or the, mm. or the you know, or mackerel or sardines or anchovies, you know, they're not what a lot of people think, you know, myself included on, you know, oh, I just want to whip up and fry up a little piece of fish. So it's, I think, you know, we, if I reckon, and I, this I certainly don't know for a fact, but I reckon if we go on to, I'm not going to name names, but some pretty standard, common everyday used popular websites for recipes for you know i don't know easy weeknight suppers 30 minute meals whatever it is we're not going to see a lot of those sustainable fishes on those websites we're going to see the less sustainable more obvious ones you're going to see well you you will certainly see tuna which again yellowfin or bluefin tuna Ah, salmon. Now, oh, there's a there's a rich topic. We could have a whole podcast devoted to salmon itself. Salmon, farm salmon, is an environmental catastrophe. It's uh, an absolute no go. It's uh, under under no circumstances. I just checked some things here. There are f- the fish farmers, salmon fish farmers, can use. They have sixteen toxic chemicals which to control parasites, fungi, infections, and something else, which I can't read on my notes. Um, so that, you know that they can u- use for them. They may not use them all, but they may use what, some of them. And if you want to eat, um, you know, stuff that's been been doused in chemicals, then that's fine. If uh, you know, is that uh, it, it's fed also. Salmon is fed on uh, on minced up white fish, which is edible stuff, which we could be eating, but it's, which it's we could minced be eating, up and yeah. fed, to, fed fed to salmon. If they if they only ate that, then the the flesh would be not that highly desirable pink, or red. It would be grey. So they're fed on a thing called they're given a, a, a sort of additive called antaxanthin, and that turns it all nice, sexy red. So you know, it, crazy, isn't it? And then where you have them, you know, you have seventy five thousand salmon in a in a great big. Um, 
uh, net anchored somewhere offshore and they're eating all day and like every other animal they do they go to the lavatory a lot and uh, and all their feces falls to the, to the floor of the sea killing absolutely everything uh, really yes uh, then they also have, because they're all close together, they have problems with lice, which is why you've got to douse them with chemicals, um, and so on and so on and so on. It's, it's a, and then they escape routinely if there's a storm, they escape, and then they crossbreed with the wild Atlantic salmon, and they're reducing the genetic code on them, and so on and so forth. It's, <laughs> and oh, and the final thing, and the final thing, well, no, not the final thing, but of the 179,000 tonnes of salmon um, produced, they requires four hundred and sixty thousand tons of white fish, twenty five thousand tons of salmon, caged salmon, uh, die before the, before they can be harvested and and simply buried. That's a huge quantity, something like ten percent or maybe more. That's massive. So all of this is going on, and yet we're being sold. This is. Tremendously healthy. I think it's actually a disgusting product, to be perfectly honest. It's flabby. It's you know, it's yeah. devoid of... It, it has a soft, mushy texture. It has lines of fat running through it. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you round up all the fats like that, you can't think of one one reason whatsoever to eat salmon unless it's wild. Are there any other farmed fish that we need to worry about in the same kind of ilk? The same problems are... are, are obviously attend almost all fish farming wherever they have to be the thing about it is that most fish farming is done elsewhere so off um off tunisia in the mediterranean of of south america and so on and so forth where we don't see it and we don't know quite so much and to be honest i don't know quite so much but i do know there are serious problems for example of prawn farming in madagascar that has a has had a terrible effect upon the mangrove swamps for example um, and so on and so on. So it's a, it's a it's a very tricky one, um, and it's something which actually we really ought to go into it in a great deal more depth because it's a very complex. There's a lot of us depend on it. A lot of countries depend upon it. It's a, it's a big earner. Uh, it provides you know, um, employment in Scotland, for example, on a scale which would mm. be difficult to replicate elsewhere. Although most of the Scottish um, uh, salmon farms are actually owned by Norwegians. <laughs> so, I read go. that the other day. Actually, that's yeah. quite interesting. Yeah, right. Okay. So, can we can, can we move to something slightly more uh, more cheerful? Oh, I will t- will tell you. However, if you are lucky enough ever to catch a salmon, <laughs> and if you are even luckier to be a wild salmon, and you are lucky enough to be able to cook it and eat it, which you are only allowed to do very very rarely these days, but it is a sublime experience particularly if i might recommend the sauce sabayon au champagne uh, made by <laughs> myself uh, that is actually one. that takes us on to a good point because we, we thought we might talk a little bit about some staple easy sauces to do with fish well when it comes to easy sauces i am your man all right go on then give us your give us your top three sauces for fish right well the i think that the um I think a, a prawn sauce, and all you do is you get Atlantic prawns, get one of those, you know, those pint of prawns you find in the pub, get hold of those, get a pint off them or however many, bung them in a pan, white wine, onion if you want, a little bit of onion, a bit of celery if you want, and then just cover them with, with wine and water uh, and then boil them up for about 20 minutes, strain them off, 
reduce it down and you will have an, a little bit of cream or a little bit of butter and you will have a fantastically nice you know, lovely prawn sauce that will go with cod or any sort of white fish really delicious yum then there's a sauce which I developed for roasting big flat fish, you know, things like brill and turbot, you know, and, and, uh, and actually goes very well with John Dory as well, which is um, you get smoked cod's row, you, you mash it up into, uh, into creme fraiche, squeeze or two of orange juice, dash of cayenne pepper, and pour any of the roasting dishes, any roasting juices from the fish in there, stir it in absolutely tip top mm. people say god this is good where did you get the recipe from and you just say oh well modestly i just yeah, i made it up <laughs> uh and then this the, the, the sauce of champagne which uh, you, you our old friend mark clarfelt regards as one of the finest creations in the whole of the gastronomic universe but as a, right. as a bit that's a bit more complicated well it, it's, it's actually I developed it myself from from hints that I found elsewhere, but it consists of ripe tomatoes, green tomatoes, shallots, and you sweat those off in, in a bit of butter. Then you add a bottle of champagne or half a bottle of champagne, boil that down. Then on top of that, you then add hollandaise sauce, uh, and that, 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 and then just before you serve, you whip some cream and fold that in, so it's light. It's elegant. God. And the it's... next day you subsist on, on nothing but water and a good run. Well, no, you go back into the river hoping to catch another fish. <laughs> That's what you do. What about you, darling? Have you got it? Well, I mean, you know, I'm going to be really predictable here and say that I have an Asian sauce that I put with fish. I make, you know, I have a, I think I spoke about it pre- re- recently on this, is, uh, you know, the old squeezy bottles in the fridge. And I'll whip up, you know, bit of coconut milk, lemongrass, coriander, some chilli, some soy, some fish sauce, blah, blah, you know, any any sort of Asian flavour you feel like. And I blitz that all up and then it turns into a lovely kind of loose paste. And I'll, um, you know, fry up a piece of sea bass and, you know, squeeze some of that on top because I gravitate towards, yeah. um, the, you know, those sort of Asian flavours. But And also, can we just say, a bit of fish fried up in a you know, really healthy load of butter and a little bit of oil and squeeze of lemon if you want to chuck in some capers. I mean, you just cut that. Just that is absolutely divine. Well, I'll tell you something. When I went to Noma, which is dating down later on this year, the, the dish that I remember, yeah. well, the first time, I, the dish I remember most of all was a piece of halibut, which was a huge, large chunk of halibut, which had just been just fried in butter and they'd just been spooning yeah. butter over and over and over it was absolutely sublime almost as good darling almost as good as that bisque you made for my birthday last year mm. and we've talked about that on this before so we won't wax lyrical too much oh oh very oh good. why not oh excuse me i want to relive that that was just such it was as close close to fish bliss as I expect it is to get a, to. I tell you what, we'll put the I'll put we'll put the recipe up on the Instagram for the bisque for the for the um you know the liquid part, but which, into which you can add whatever your heart's desire. From a point of you know fish perspective, we had I don't know what I don't know what white fish we used, but we had various bits of white fish, and then we put some squid in, and we put some prawns and some mussels, and then the key with it is to add some roasted fennel. Yeah. That was and it some was, crispy it was, bread it, and butter, and you just can't go wrong. Uh, oh, and, and several bottles of crisp white wine. 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> bit, of, bit of booze on the side. Bit um, of booze on the side. What else? Oh, yes. Oh, so, hang on. Then the other things we can talk about in terms of preparing fish was the fish that we did at your house when we did, this is whole fish, salt baked. Oh, yes. I've always wanted to do so. It was, I found it, I came across a really wonderful looking sea, fresh sea bass. Again, not usually on the sustainable list, but there it was on the fishmonger slab and I didn't want to waste it. Uh, and that was and that is so easy because what you do is you just mix egg white and salt together and you put down a bit, bit at the bottom of your of a tray on a piece of uh, aluminium foil because you don't want it to stick to the to the pan. And then you put it out on the fish, having gutted and gilled it and taken all the other stuff out. Don't salt it, don't season it, don't do anything. Just cover it with the rest of the egg white and salt, shove it in the oven and bake it. And how long you bake it for will depend slightly on how big the, the fish is. But, but, but um, we did essentially, roughly, I think it, we did roughly half an hour. Yes, and and for a big, it was a big sea, a big uh, sea bass, wasn't it? It was about it was a big fish, pounds. yeah. No, it was about um, three pounds, I think. Uh, and then then they take it out and you crack it. And what's happened is that the the um, the secret of this is not to to scale the fish beforehand. Leave the scales on because what happens in the cooking, they fuse together and they mm. protect the flesh from absorbing too much of the salt. And then when you break the crust and you lift it off, you lift off the skin, and there's this basically the fish which is just steamed in its own juices. Uh, and it it was really and it was so. Um, I was so pleasantly surprised by the fact that it was perfectly seasoned. It it was salted, but you didn't need to add more. It was really really good, and it was just sort of juicy, succulent, tender, easy to pull the meat off the bone, and actually so easy. And a really lovely way of feeding several people fish, mm. and a little bit of a little bit of olive oil. The other thing is, the fine, my final point I want to make about fish is: is that don't buy too much of it. Fish is really rich. You don't really need rich. a lot of fish, and you and you tend to think, oh, I must you know, we'll have lots of this and lots of that, and I can't resist the other. And then at the end of it, you're left left looking at this sad pile of leftover fish, which is actually. Not very nice when you try and find a way of recycling it. Except, I suppose you can make it into fish cakes, but but yeah. fish cakes. There's another story. And then, of course, for those out there who are you know who are who are raw food or sushi lovers, you can do you can buy sushi grade fish, and you can do all sorts of things at home, and you can do lovely seared you know seared fish dishes. Yeah, have to be a little bit careful about raw fish. There is the, uh, there's the, the well. There's a thing called a nematode worm, which lives in fish flesh, which if not if you're not careful and if you don't remove them, they particularly find them in swordfish and, and tuna. <laughs> and Lovely. Uncle, That's really yeah. nice. Yeah, mm, your uncle Johnny. Um, next time I do my little seared tuna dish, I'm going to think about this blooming worm. Thanks very much. Your uncle Johnny, who used to remember, used to have a fish has a fish shop in Rome. He yeah. said he would never ever eat you know, tuna or swordfish because he was fed up with pulling worms out of it before cutting up and, and and selling it off. I mean, I'm I'm certainly suggesting that you go to a fishmonger and ask for sushi grade fish so that hopefully that part's done yes, for no. you. <laughs> and, and actually, now I come to you talk about sushi grade fish, I haven't actually even mentioned the the great 
ikejime method of killing fish, which actually has an amazing effect upon how how fresh they last and how long they last out, out of the water. But that, I say, is another story. It's that is that's PhD. That was from that restaurant Umu, wasn't it? Well, it was. It was that's the the man, the the one Yoshinori Ishii was. Well, I think you're going to have to say what the method is now. You can't say that and not explain. Well, it's it's, it's interesting because normally you just bang a fish on the head and you know, bang it in the book. But in the Ikejime method, you catch the fish and you uh, you you kill it, but then you immediately stick a a wire or a spike down the spine which essentially paralyzes the nervous system of the fish, which is dead, but it paralyzes the nervous system. So the nervous system can't send out the signs to the signals to all the you know, the flesh around that, you know, the game's up, I'm dead, and you must start decaying. It stops the decaying process or slows it okay. right, right down. it keeps down. it very fresh. And it keeps it really, really fresh. All right, I've got two more points. One is just a little tip about fish pie which I don't know about you, but fish pie can often just be a mass of potatoes. But a good you know, fish pie is a joy. Good fish pie, but often I find it's too potato heavy. And there is a recipe in a book by Lucas Holwig. Holwig? Holwig? Yes, Holwig. Um, that is, he's got two fish pies in that in his book, but one of them has absolutely no potatoes and has tons of spinach, tons of cheese and lots of breadcrumbs. And it is exceptional for those people who, like me, think that sometimes a fish pie is just a load of potato with the odd bit of fish. Uh, That's a tip. And then the second one is a question. I need to know where we went wrong. This weekend, Peter and I tried to make our own taramasalata because we have become taramasalata nuts. Absolutely love the stuff. Have it in the fridge all the time to dip anything in when you're a bit peckish. Anyway, so we thought we'd make our own, followed a recipe, which was, you know, uh, it was codsro, it was lemon juice, it was the olive oil. Uh, anyway, it was all the bits that you need, and we whizzed it up, followed all of the instructions, and it was absolutely disgusting. <laughs> Inedibly revolting. It almost put me off taramasalata for life. The texture was disgusting. The flavour was disgusting. The smell was disgusting. Everything was completely wrong. All right. right, right. I, I get the picture. It wasn't a success. So did you use... But where did we go wrong? Did you use smoked codsrow or did you use fresh codsrow? We used fresh codsrow and we were following a recipe that said to use fresh codsrow. Well, clearly, whoever wrote the recipe didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> Um, but could that have been thing that derailed? It could the have whole been thing? one of the. It could have been one of the other, th- the other things. I don't know. It is, without actually standing, looking over your shoulder, I make. I make. Do make a taramasalata. Uh, I make it in a, with a, a mortar and pestle. Uh, bash it up with breadcrumbs, olive oil, um, uh, cayenne pepper, a little bit of garlic, and that. And lemon I mean, juice, it sounds and like. It. Pan, 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 sounds pan, like pan, exactly pan, what we pan. did, but we'll so we'll have to give it a go with smoked codsro. Well, darling, it seems to me there's. Can we can we return to fish? Because I think there's there's an awful yeah, lot, a lot here which say. we you know which we've just touched on, isn't it? It's, it's an ever fascinating. Yeah. All topic. right, to be continued. To be continued at some place in the unspecified time in the future. Um, okay, well before we go, quick one: what are you having for supper? Oh, I don't know. I'm <laughs> going very out. nice. I'm going up to. St- <laughs> I'm going up to friends up the road. So um, 
It's going to be a surprise. It's going to be a surprise. All right. What are you having for I've, supper? I've, I've taken out the uh, Stroud Farmer's Market smoked ox cheek that's been in my freezer since you gave it to me at the beginning of the year. And um, oh. I'm going to have that with some veggies. Well, yeah, uh, all I can say is I think you're in for a, a wonderful surprise. Well, not a wonderful surprise. I think it's just a wonderful experience. I think it's a really brilliant, quick and easy, you know, just because it falls to bits, mm. you just cook a whole lot of vegetables, bung it on top, add a little bit of vinegar into the in, in with the vegetables because it, it, that, that freshness that comes from the vinegar really helps lighten the dish. Okay. All oh, right. Well, I agree. We'll have to pick fish up again because it's, it's a really interesting topic and we've, we've just scratched the surface. Don't you think this is one of the wonderful things about, about food? Is that everything leads on to another one, another thing, and Absolutely. on to another thing, on to another story, and another idea, and another observation? I do. I love that. That's why I love talking to you, my dear. Ditto. <laughs> what are we doing next? Next week, Dad, we are chatting to Tom Parker Bowles. Ah, Tom. <laughs> I, I don't know quite what to say about Tom he is the most fantastically good company do you know I think he's one of the very few people who's even greedier than I am really uh, and he has his absolute passion for food uh, and he's you know, he's and I also I also feel he's one of the best food writers right not the best food writer around I have a huge regard for him and he makes well, me I'm, laugh. I'm really looking forward to talking to him. And not only does he have a passion for food, but he has a particular passion for heat and spice uh, and chilli. Oh, yeah, he's very big on that. And Mexican food, too. He loves Mexican food. He's a great missionary for Mexican food. No, he's a, he's, he's a man of an ever-curious mind and, a, and a, I think, a wonderful way with words. So it should be a brilliant, brilliant podcast. <laughs>